I always want people to know that the hormones, our, our hormone system, our endocrine system, isn't trying to fail us. Your, your estrogen deci didn't decide one day to sabotage you. It really didn't. It's just, we got to make sure that our, our, our system, our body's working well, our gut is fully supported, our liver is fully supported, so that our hormones have the necessary nutrients, have the, the necessary ability to break themselves down, and that our, can leave the body once they're used, right? I always say with estrogen, you, you need to use it and lose it. Welcome back to The Better Podcast with yours truly, Dr. Stephanie Estima. This show is for high-performing women who want better bodies, better minds, better relationships, better sex, and better families, and want to hear from a woman that can take the complex science and make it easy to integrate into everyday life. Every week, I'll be giving you access to world-class scientists, medical doctors, plastic surgeons, professional athletes, Olympic gold medalists, Hollywood actors, parenting coaches, sex experts, and psychologists. I am always looking to answer this question. What are the simplest things that we can do today to get better tomorrow? I am part geek, part magic, and it is my mission to be the voice for women. Let's get better together. Welcome back, friends, to the Better Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Stephanie Estima. Today, we are talking all about perimenopause and menopause, something that I feel the medical community and the healthcare community at large has really forgotten about. And my guest today is Dr. Marisa Snyder. Now, before we get into the topics that we spoke about, I just wanted to gently remind you that if you know me by now, you know that I am a super nerd and I go on a geeky magic carpet ride with my show notes. If you want access to my science-backed resources for better living, my show notes, my all my prep notes for the show notes, my prescription pad, the studies that I use to prep, my personal best practices, what I've learned and how I'm implementing uh, the information discussed in the episode, please go to bettershow.co forward slash show notes. That's S-H-O-W. N-O-T-E-S. It's free. All you have to do is just give me your name and your email and I will send you the show notes from that episode as well as the other ones that you have been listening to and enjoying. Now, on to the show. Today, I spoke with Dr. Maritza Snyder. She has been a colleague of mine, of course. She's been an incredible friend to me over the years. And we are truly sisters from another mister. Very similar uh, stories. Her story in terms of how she got into this line of work parallels my own and is really just all in for female health and wellness. So a couple of her accolades, she is a functional practitioner the author of seven, count them seven, books, including the national bestseller, The Essential Oils Hormone Solution, which is focused on balancing hormones with the power of essential oils, and the number one Amazon bestseller, The Smart Mom's Guide to Essential Oils. She has been featured on Dr. Oz, Fox News Health, Oprah Magazine, Mind Body Green, and many other publications. She's also the host of the Essentially You podcast, which I have had the pleasure of being a guest on as well. And and uh, she is just an overall, what I would call a badass, a sister from another mister, someone who I just love and respect immensely. So today we spoke about some of the common clinical presentations that can happen uh, that sort of predispose women to 
exacerbating some of the symptoms that we talk about in menopause and perimenopause. So we talked about estrogen dominance. We talked about the effect of chronic stress on the body. We went down a big nerd rabbit hole in terms of sympathetic tone and sympathetic dominance and how that really just shunts every single system in the body and just dives, uh, throws all of your glucose and all of your energy towards the periphery. We spoke about low pro- the symptoms of estrogen dominance, the symptoms of low progesterone. We talked about liver health and detoxification. We talked about gut dysbiosis. And then we moved into perimenopause and menopause, the definitions of each, what a woman can experience. And We also spoke about some solutions. So I like to talk about things from a myriad of different um, perspectives. Maritza, of course, is no different. So we talked about physical solutions. We talked about chemical solutions. So that includes dietary changes. We talked about environmental changes in terms of house cleaning products, in terms of makeup. And admittedly, I need some help in this department. I need a natural, I need an arsenal of like good makeup that's all natural. So just putting that out there into the universe that this person is going to, this podcast guest is going to show up and we're going to jam on it. And then we also spoke about emotional health and and mental health as well. And some of the things that are very essential in terms of healing our, whether it's old trauma, old wounds, things that we are still holding in our nervous system and how those can really affect our uh, hormones and our well-being. And I think at the end of it, what I took from this and what I have been really pushing as well in, in terms of my online platform is that menopause is not a dirty word. It doesn't have to be this doom and gloom. You're going to all of a sudden you lose your period and then you turn into this old haggard woman with three warts on her nose and your hair falls out and you just become the spinster. I mean, I am recording this and we talked about this a little bit in the podcast, but this is a couple days after JLo and Shakira just rocked the NFL halftime show. And I think that really what it's done, at least for me and what I will continue to do for you, my dear listeners and fans, is to redefine what is possible for a woman when she believes in herself, when she loves herself, and when she has the tools to heal her hormones. Heal thyself, doctor. Let me give you the tools to help you heal yourself naturally and in ways that have been proven clinically and, uh, and, with, uh, and over time. So without further ado, please enjoy my discussion with Dr. Maritza Snyder. Dr. Maritza, I am so excited for this conversation and to have you on the podcast. Welcome. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much, Dr. Stephanie, for having me. I am so excited to be here. We are going to get in it. We are going to get in it. And I just, you know, we are going to go really deep today. And I just wanted to highlight for my listeners the type of human being you are. We are going to obviously highlight your expertise and we're going to talk about all the things that you know about you know, females and estrogen dominance and perimenopause and, and postmenopause. But I just wanted to share that the quality of human that you are and you know, publicly thank you because you know, people are going to be listening to this, uh, how you've helped me. I remember when I was you know, thinking about transitioning and closing my physical practice, you were like, let's jump on a call. I'm going to walk you through what it was like for me when I closed my clinical practice and how some of the trials and tribulations that I went through. And then last August, 
we were at, we were in a master, we were in mastermind together. And I was telling you, you know, so now I've closed my clinic and I'm going to start this podcast. And you're like, okay, these are the things you need to do. These are the things that I've learned that you don't do. You have to have a hashtag, you know, all these different things that you just so willingly, uh, shared with me. And I just, um, I just think that you are a general cheerleader for, uh, if you've been a cheerleader for me, I know I've, I've listened to your podcast. I'm a fan as well as a colleague of yours. I know you're a cheerleader for many female uh, physicians. So I'm really excited to highlight you today in our conversation. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much. Well, you know, I feel the like 100% the same about you. You are such a rock star and I'm so, so, so grateful that you were doing this work in the world that you're doing, Dr. Stephanie. Thank you. Oh, so we are going to, so we are going to lift the proverbial skirt today. We're going to like lift the skirt. We're going to go into perimenopause and menopause, but just before we do, uh, for those of my listeners that have not heard of you before, and, and, and by the way, I should say that this is a really important conversation. This is a big part of who my audience is. So I know they're going to get a lot of value out of today, but I often believe, and I was, I, I will credit Philip McKernan with this. He has said, you know, your gifts are right beside your wounds. And I truly believe that that is the case for me. You know, I believe that many of us become doctors because we want to heal ourselves by healing others. Um, so maybe, you know, you are a women's hormone expert. Maybe you can explain, you know, how you fell into this line of work. Absolutely. You know, I was in practice and I had a lot of incredible female patients, amazing women patients who were taken on the world, like so many women do. And they had a number of different symptoms that just weren't adding up and they weren't getting the answers that they were looking for from other doctors. And it just wasn't really clear about what was going on. They just knew they didn't feel like themselves anymore and they wanted to get their bodies back. They wanted to feel like themselves again. They wanted to be alert. They wanted to have that energy. They wanted to be able to be the superwoman that they used to be, um, you know, living the life that they live today. And at the time, it was it was a cluster of symptoms that I hadn't really seen a lot of. Like I focused a lot on migraine pain. I focused a lot on um, women who were having struggles with sleep, but I found that women were struggling across the board. And it was around this time that I started having some really severe hormone issues. And it wasn't as though it happened overnight. I, you know, I had been, I had been you know, getting sluggish in the afternoon. I had had some mood swings. My periods were inconsistent. And I remember asking friends and family, even colleagues, like, is this normal for, for me to be dealing with this? And everybody said, yes. Like, this is how women operate. Welcome to the world of being a woman. And so I was like, okay, I'm just going to keep doing what I do. I'm going to keep moving, moving through life. Um, but the symptoms kept on getting worse and worse and worse. And I remember one day, just a defining moment, 7 a.m., wake up to go get ready to go see my patients. I had about 25 patients to see that day. And I'm trying, I'm about to get out of bed because I hear the alarm. And it's as if this invisible hand is shoving me, like pressing me back into bed. And I can't even lift my head up off the pillow. And I remember there was like this sheer panic that moved through me really quickly because I was like, wait, I, how, why can I not get up? Like you've, and then it was a command of Marisa, get up. You've got patients, you've the, I, like the laundry list of things, check, 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 mm -hmm. went through my mind. And I was like, I cannot not show up to work today. And I eventually crawled out of bed. I made it to the bathroom. I crawled into the bathroom and was able to get myself ready. And I remember looking in the mirror at that time. And I remember looking at myself. When you have that, that real moment when you see yourself for who you are. And I literally, I, I felt like I was a fraction of who I had been 
Like I was this like zombie in the mirror. And I remember thinking to myself, like, how are you going to take care of your patients if you can't even take care of yourself? And it was at this time, I was trying to figure out what was going on with me, this severe, debilitating chronic fatigue. Like it was enough for me to get to work. And then I just crashed at the end of the day, every day. And I was literally just 30 years old when this was happening to me. So friends of mine recommended me to a hormone doctor because it's always recommended to never diagnose yourself. Don't, don't diagnose yourself. <laughs> Dr. Um, Google is a dangerous <laughs> doctor to visit. Yes. And I really didn't know exactly what was going on. Like even this, this was in, you know, this was 11 years ago or so. And it just, we weren't really looking at this to the extent of which we're looking at it today. So much has shifted in the last decade around women's health. We were kind of mm-hmm. just shoving women to the side and just kind of just telling them they were crazy. So I went to the doctor, got the labs done, and sure enough, it was like hormone hot mess. I mean, it was all over the place. And the doctor, this, um, she was a specialized in hormones, but an OBGYN, she gave me two prescriptions as a solution. One of them was birth control. And the other one was Xanax. And I remember looking down at these prescriptions, knowing what I know. You know I was a biochemist in the past, and I'd been you know, a practitioner in my own right for quite some time. And I just remember I felt so defeated. I felt mm. alone. I mm. felt dismissed. And I remember handing back the prescriptions because I knew in my gut, in my heart, that this, these were not going to get me out of my chronic fatigue. This wasn't going to help me bounce back and get my energy back. Honestly, I didn't know if I was ever going to get that energy back again. And I sat in my car outside of the doctor's office. I, was, I just remember crying because I felt so lost. And there was this moment of resolution of, you've got to figure this out. You, this is, you are your, you are the person that has got to figure this out. And I had always been a great researcher and I knew there was a part of me, this hope in me that said there were doctors doing this work. There were people who were really looking at this from a root cause perspective. And so I did, I decided one, I was going to start figuring out what was going on with me. And number two, I realized as I sat in the car, how many other women have sat in their car crying outside of a doctor's office feeling like they literally walked out with the same answers that they came in with, which was nothing. You know, they felt just as lost as when they came in the door. And I wanted to be a part of that solution. I didn't want to continue to be a part of the problem. And that was in that moment, I decided that I had to be one of millions, especially at 30 years old, there had to be women 35, 40, maybe even 25 who were struggling the way that I was struggling and had and they were put on Xanax and didn't know to question it. And, um, and yes. that has been my, my life's pursuit. Every day I wake up with that mission in mind is how do we educate women? How do we empower women? How do we help support women take ownership of their wellness, especially when it comes to their hormones? Because it's the thing that can just completely shut us down. Um, yeah. Oh man, that's so, that's such gold right there. And I would also add to what you're saying, like 10 years ago, these conversations weren't happening. It was, you know, you had to put on, and I think this, this still happens today where we still have to put on this facade of everything's great. Nothing's going, you know, I have no, how are you? Oh, I'm great. How are you? Like, there's no connection and there's no medium for dialogue and discourse. So this is why I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to be having this conversation with you right now. And Me there's, too. yeah, there, there's a number of uh, nerdy rabbit holes that I want to go down uh, with you. I thought the way to decon, the way to really talk about 
hormones in a way that is going to make sense for my peri for our perimenopausal and menopausal women today is to start by potentially dissecting some of the more common uh, clinical presentations that we see that happen before we get to perimenopause. So you know your story would be included in that because those are going to necessarily aggravate it when you get to perimenopause, when you get to uh, menopause. And when I'm, when I'm talking about clinical presentations, I want to talk about estrogen dominance. I want to talk about chronic fatigue, which you just mentioned in your story. And then I would like to, if we have some, I know that these are big topics, but I would also like to maybe touch on androgen dominance as well. And if we don't get to PCOS and testosterone excess, it'll be on the next time that you're on the show. Um, but let's, and let's start off with estrogen dominance because I find that it's a little bit easier for women to identify whether they have estrogen dominance because they can look at their menstrual cycle for clues. So can you walk a a woman who's listening through, you know, if she wants to look at her period or just her menstrual cycle in general, what would, how could she tease out some of the clues of what estrogen dominance looks like? And then we'll parse this with a conversation around cortisol and chronic fatigue. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about estrogen dominance and, you know, where estrogen dominance really kind of rears its head in in our kind of in a, in a world of women and i've had estrogen dominance i don't know if you have struggled with estrogen Same. dominance yourself yeah the so many of us are dealing with estrogen dominance and the real reason is one of the biggest reasons what we're dealing where we're seeing so many women dealing with estrogen dominance is a lot of environmental stressors environmental stressors that we are having a really difficult time avoiding things from diesel fuel to um, pesticides glyphosate um, parabens plastics Solvents. I mean, those are there are things that we, as 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 much as we try to avoid, we have to get on the road or we we have to go out in, into the world. We have to get on a plane. Those things are adding up over time. The other number one stressor that is driving estrogen dominance is is literally perceived stress. And we'll talk about cortisol in just a moment. Um, so estrogen dominance doesn't necessarily mean that we have a really severe uptick in estrogen. It's just in relationship to progesterone. And if we really wanted to look at that, you know, the test that I always recommend, kind of that gold standard to kind of look and see what is going on is going to be the Dutch test, right? That will give us a sense of literally estrogen metabolites. We can look all the way down the pathways and see what what our bodies are breaking down, what our liver and our gut is breaking down in those phases. But ways in which that you kind of know that you may be dealing with estrogen dominance, um, one, fibrocystic or tender breasts, especially getting closer to our period or during our period, heavy um, and, and menstruation, and not maybe not every month is heavy, but some months are definitely heavier than others. So really heavy bleeding, blood clots could be a situation. Um, maybe if we're developing fibroids, although we wouldn't be able to see that necessarily with our menstruation. I mean, yes, you could definitely have heavier bleeding because of fibroids, mm-hmm. but that would need to be looked at in a diagnostic way. You, if you are having heavy bleeding, it may be worth looking at that, but really we should be looking at that estrogen dominance. Um, other things that we're going to see, brain fog, bloating around the hips, the thighs, um, weight distribution around the hips and thighs are going to be another one as well. Mood swings, um, depression is going to be something that we're going to be experiencing around our period. So those are kind of some of the the tall tale signs that we may be dealing with estrogen dominance compared to progesterone inside of the body. Yeah. I often joke that 
the proper name for estrogen dominance is actually uh, estrogen dominance in the luteal phase of our cycle, right? Or unopposed, sorry, unopposed estrogen in the luteal. So this is just way too long and complicated for people. So the the shortening to estrogen dominance is, you know, is appropriate here. And I also very much have a tendency to run estrogen dominant. The big clue for me, what you just said uh, was always tender breasts. So Mm -hmm. I would, you know, the last week or two, you know, someone would come in for a hug and I would like awkwardly like redirect their hands to like shake them because if I knew if I hugged someone, I was going to cry. Like my boobs were so tender. And I remember, you know, talking about stress and estrogen together. uh, It was 2016. So I was going through a divorce at the time and I found a lump in my, in my breast. And of course your mind goes right to, you know, goes right to cancer. You know, I'm going to die. My children are going to grow up without a mother. And it was the, this was really the starting point for me when I said, okay, I really have to start paying attention to my hormones. You have like the stress of the separation, you're moving my periods. Like I had to bring, I was still in clinic at the time and I would have to bring a change of pants at the first couple days of my period because I, the bleeding was so heavy. I would almost necessary, almost guarantee that I would, I would go right through my pants even before, like I would bleed right through my pants right before, uh, even just on my travels to work. So, um, I mean the, the cyst, the lump ended up being just a cyst, but this is really, you know, a good example of how, you know, acute stress, but also, you know, having a pre-existing, uh, predisposition to having estrogen dominance can really wreak havoc, um, on the body. And you mentioned something, I just wanted to circle back to it. You said, you know, it's not necessarily that estrogen dominance is so high, but it's that our, that the sister hormone progesterone isn't higher than estrogen in that second half in that luteal phase of the, of the cycle. So let's talk a little bit about low progesterone because this is going to, uh, I mean, some of the symptoms, there's a lot of overlap, but some of the, some of the symptoms around low progesterone, what would those be for the, for the listener? Absolutely. Kind of similar, you know, low progesterone and estrogen dominance can look very similar. Um, One of the things I did mention too, if women are having headaches or migraines, during right before their period or right at their period that is a that is a good tall tale sign for estrogen dominance so with low progesterone low progesterone is pms that is that is if we're dealing with pms symptoms um when when we are getting towards our our menstrual the the beginning of our menstrual cycle so the beginning of our period we know that those hormones progesterone testosterone and estrogen are going to take a nosedive why it was created that way for us, I'm not exactly sure. <laughs> but especially if progesterone isn't at the level we want it to be, um, it, it, like at day 19, day 20, day 21 of our luteal cycle, when it takes that nosedive, it's going to really, we're going to feel it. We're going to feel that impact. So again, major mood swings, bloating, um, distribution of weight, um, maybe even bowel movements change as well because our digestive system shifts and switches in a, in a way like you may end up having um, either constipation or diarrhea, you're just feeling super bloated and gassy, the headaches are going to come on, Um, you know, the breast tenderness is going to happen as well. 
And it's just, it's just going to be that kind of time where emotions are going to be soaring up and down depending on what's going on. Those are kind of the classic signs for, for low progesterone levels. At least as for what I know personally and what I've, what I've, when I've talked to thousands of women, those are kind of, that's kind of the distribution. Clearly, there's a lot of other symptoms where we can land when it comes to PMS and low progesterone, but those are oftentimes um, where, um, where we see, a, where we see the, the symptoms. Yeah, and those are sort of the clinical hallmarks. The only other thing I would add on to that is sometimes you'll see spotting. So I, yes, I remember yes. I had a woman once that was like, I don't know when my period starts. You know, it's just, I sort of spot for a week. I'm like, oh, okay, that's the, that's the progesterone being really low. And I, I'll share with you a really funny story, you know, and this around PMS, because I, even someone, you know, you have formal training uh, in, in the subject matter. I have formal training, but sometimes, at, at least for me, maybe I'm just slow, but I, sometimes you can't see it in yourself. I can remember saying to Giovanni, it was, uh, I don't know, maybe it's a year ago. I said, you know, I don't know what it is, but like at least once a month, I hate everyone. Like, I just want to just, everyone aggravates me. I just want to throat punch everybody. Like why, why, like, why are people so dumb? Like, why is it everyone else's problem? And, you know, and so he's, you know, being the smart male that he is like, just sort of like, you know, deer in headlight, like didn't say anything. He was like, he's like, uh, every month, honey, like this time of the month, you know, you should. So we just sort of stared at each other for 20 seconds. And I was like, oh my God, that's, I have PMS. That's what that is. Like, I hate everyone because I have PMS. So it's so true. My yeah. husband knows my entire cycle. Every, everyone yeah. knows. And here's the thing. And, and what I love so much, you know, we're having the conversation of what it looks like, but oh my gosh, what is possible? I really do want to paint that picture. And environment and how we take care of our bodies is everything. So last um, October, I was running a summit for women's hormones. We were raising a ton of money and it was a stressful month. The self-care that I normally do every day, I was like, I don't need it this month. I can just put it over here. Mm-hmm. And we, I was just late nights. Um, I probably was at times probably eating things I shouldn't have had. I was probably drinking more coffee than normal because I was working later. Right. And oh my gosh, when November came around, girl, it was like a Mack truck hit me upside the head. It was right. one of the worst periods I had had in like seven months. And it was because I, I was like, oh my gosh, what did I do? What, how did I treat myself last month in October? Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, yes, I, I, all the things I normally do, all the ways in which I take care of myself, I just let it go. I didn't, yeah. let, I didn't let all of it go, but because um, some, of, some of it's so automatic. And then there's months where I am so good to me. I am nourishing me. I am taking care of me. And man, it is like ease and grace. My period comes and goes and no one knew. Right. Not even, not almost not even me. Yeah, you're like, oh, there <laughs> she is. Yeah. Oh, huh. <laughs> <laughs> no warning sign or nothing. There you are. I mean, I track it and everything, but yeah. my husband's like, wow, what? This is weird. You know? And so the beautiful thing is we, we really have a lot of control around how our hormones are functioning. So I did want to just, I want to tease that a little bit. I know we're getting to that. Yeah. And I, I, I love that you mentioned that because you really cannot appreciate how glorious your menstruation can be until you get that period where your breasts feel soft. They're not lumpy. You feel great and there's no bloating. And yeah, so we, we are, we are definitely going to get there, but we'll just hang that carrot for, uh, for a moment. So I know one of the things I know about you is you are very much uh, an integrative practitioner. We know that estrogen dominance doesn't happen in a tube. It doesn't happen, you know, in and of itself. You mentioned liver and gut. Um, I would love 
for you to describe. So when a, when a woman comes to you and you've done the Dutch test or she's you know, subjectively telling you, I have all these clots in my period and breast tenderness, fibrocystic, all this stuff, what, what are some of the areas that you like to focus on? And they can be you know, from a, uh, we can look at this in terms of systems like liver and detoxification. And like, what, what are some of the areas that you like to work on with respect to their health? Absolutely. I think the major areas, and I could absolutely go down the pathways. I'm going to keep this. I want to, we have so much to cover too. I want to keep it simple. So I want to do is kind of give the solutions. No surprise that when it comes to breaking down um, our hormones, metabolizing our hormones, um, breaking down those hormones, even converting hormones, the liver is playing a major role in the creation, breakdown, and conversion of hormones. And it's one of those organs that is doing a million jobs every second of the day and it's there's no reward the liver is not getting rewarded <laughs> she's the hardest working girl isn't it she is the, yeah she is the hardest working girl <laughs> yeah. in the body and yet we're just like keep plop, just keep working honey and and so we we really don't honor and love our liver and what we have to look at particularly if we look at estrogen estrogen is broken down in the liver it's broken yep. down in phase one it's broken then down and it's, it's conjugated and in phase in phase two, and then it's sent into the gut. A lot of people do not know that that the gut is phase three of estrogen metabolism. And if our if our gut isn't properly working, that our microbiome isn't happy, and and and, and that we have a kind of we're having bowel movements on the regular, those estrogen metabolites can actually recirculate back into the body and begin to create some pretty crazy. Um, upheaval inside of the system. So it's really important, no surprise, not just for estrogen, but for progesterone, for thyroid, for cortisol, for all of the hormones that allow us to function every day. Because remember, hormones are simply chemical messengers. They're messengers who are relaying information to the body from different cells, different systems in the body, from the brain to the body, from the body to the brain. And they are just trying to do their best. They're trying to do their best job with what they've got right at that moment. And I always want people to know that the hormones, our, our hormone system, our endocrine system, isn't trying to fail us. Your, your estrogen decide, didn't decide one day to sabotage you. It really didn't. It's just, we gotta make sure that our, our, our system, our body's working well, our gut is fully supported, our liver is fully supported so that our hormones have the necessary nutrients, have the, the necessary ability to break themselves down and that are, can leave the body once they're used, right? I always say with estrogen, you, you need to use it and lose it. And that's, yeah. that's the purpose of estrogen. Estrogen that. knows that job. <laughs> but if it's, just, I guess it's just, girl, I've been used. It's time for me to get on out. But if we don't have the system in place, if our liver is struggling, if it's feeling sluggish because we had a, uh, we drank a bottle of wine last night, um, or we've been, you know, we, we took a, you know, we're, we're having to take a ton of medications or whatever that may be. If your liver is having to manage other burdens, it, it put, it prioritizes. Our body's always going to prioritize survival over anything else. And if it's got to prioritize, we've got to take care of a toxic load over breaking down that estrogen. Well, your liver is going to, going to make that decision. And so we want to make sure that every system that is focusing on our hormones, ensuring that our hormones work are being fully supported as well. And I have recommendations on that, but I did just want to mention that your hormones are not sabotaging you. They really are doing the best they can with what they've got. Um, it's oftentimes, it's those root causes, those underlying root causes that are throwing things off and we can get to those as well. Yes. 
Yeah. And I, and I would say for all the type A ladies that are listening who like to ignore the symptoms that your body tells you, which I am, I am in that category as well. When my body tells me something, I'm like, shut up. I'll just, I'll deal with it later. Like you just stop talking. I got to put my head down and push through. So I, I really appreciate what you're saying, but for the, for the women who are, this is especially true for high achieving driven women. We tend to ignore, we tend to think that our body is failing us. And, but really what it is, is just, we have been ignoring the symptoms, the messages that your body's been trying to tell you for so long that your signals on your symptoms are going to get louder and louder until you pay attention. Yeah. I don't want any woman to end up where I was at that day at seven in the morning where I literally couldn't, I couldn't lift my body up out of bed. It was the scariest moment. And it took, it took years to get to that place. I remember thinking that stress, adrenaline, that it was fuel that I could leverage. I had yeah. this really warped idea or vision for what my, my body was just trying to survive. And I was like, ooh, I'm going to leverage that and use it. Yeah. And I just kept doing that until I found myself on the ground. And yeah, the symptoms are just going to get louder and louder and louder. I always say that your hormones are the first to throw up the white flag. They're the ones who are going to wave the white flag. They're the first indicators that something isn't right. And I can definitely name, we talked about some of those indicators already today, um, indicators that we think that people have normalized, that we have just normalized as normal. I, it's not like I didn't check in with people. I was like, is this is this normal for me? And everyone's mm -hmm. like, oh yeah. Like if you're not feeling this way, clearly you're not, you're not living the way the superwoman needs to be living. Like this is how superwomen feel. And um, in that, I was like, okay, well, I must be doing my job if I'm wearing myself down over time. Right. So let's let's parse this then with a, yeah. with with stress because I think that you've beautifully segued it uh, and cued it up for me, even though that was the next topic. But let's, you know, you are really an expert here and most of us, to your point, like to brush it off. We like to put our head down and power through. We like to ignore the physiological consequences that cortisol and stress, chronic stress, chronic low-grade inflammation and stress can have on the body. So walk us through what stress can do in the body. Absolutely. So stress is by far probably one of my top, one of my top three, top six root causes. And it's one of these root causes that so often we, it can go unnoticed. It can be so unconscious. You know, on average, the average adult goes into a state of perceived stress with our stress response system being activated about 50 times a day. And really, very often do we even wow. recognize it. Wow. Now, every time, I know, it's mind-blowing. And I think about how many times I, you know, I even noticed that I was in a state of perceived stress. I couldn't easily name a dozen in a day. And, but there were definitely a lot of times where I had no idea that I was living in that state. Mm -hmm. and, and what that means, whether you recognize it or not, or whether you leverage it or not, as your, your brain, your body goes into what we call stress response mode. And that's an acute mode. So if, if indeed you're driving and you're in your phone and you almost hit somebody, your body goes into action, that is a stress response system. And that is an acute res stress response system. Over time, also we use the HPA axis, the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. And we can continue to trigger that up multiple times. And what's really interesting is that the more in which it happens, the, the easier it is to get triggered up. If that makes any sense. So your body kind of gets used to 
kind of flipping that switch. We, I call it upregulating the HPA axis. And again, it's, it's very unconscious, so often we don't know, but what we, do, what, what we don't know is what's happening inside of the body. So I just wanna walk you through what happens when you go in a state of perceived stress. One, the, the limbic system is alerted, the hypothalamus is alerted, and the hypothalamus is the master control center for your endocrine system. So it's running the show. And I will tell you right now, your hormones are running the entire show. <laughs> they, are, they are mitigating always, all of the risks. Always and forever, always, always and, and forever. forever, yes. Yes. Things you don't think about. Your immune system is your hormones are regulating that. Your breath rate, your hormones are regulating that. Whether your eyes dilate or not, your hormones are regulating that. How fast your, your, your blood pressure is, how fast your heart pumps, your hormones are regulating that. When you go to sleep and when you wake up in the morning, that's your hormones. Whether uh, you, However you respond to insulin and, and glucose uptake inside of the cells, hormones. All of that. So I know we think about heavy periods and we think about migraines and we think about mood swings but every single second of the day the way that your body is operating is being manned by your hormones and so we don't notice that so again we, our, our hypothalamus gets a message it upregulates it sends a message to the adrenals it says adrenals we are in an emergency session here. We don't, I don't know what's going to happen because your brain can't differentiate the difference between you getting chased by some guy or a tiger and, and you just being late for a meeting or you forgetting your child's homework or you thinking you left the coffee pot on or you getting a text message from your best friend about some crazy news that she just got. Your body doesn't know the difference. It honestly thinks that you may die. So then we upregulate epinephrine um, quickly in case it's a real emergency. And then we then bring in and co-elevate cortisol. Now cortisol is a powerful universal hormone. It has profound effects on every single cell in the body. It can literally turn, turn full systems off and turn full systems on. And the systems that we turn off is the reproductive system. So every time you go in that state of perceived stress, we shut that system off. We shut off the digestive system and we start to ask for, we co-elevate insulin because we think we need more energy. We think we may run. We need energy inside of those big muscles like our quads, our hamstrings, and our glutes. So we co-elevate insulin. And that's why when you go into these state of perceived stresses every day, it's the equivalent of eating a chocolate cupcake, except you don't get to even eat the cupcake. You never <laughs> you even get to enjoy it. it. <laughs> I don't even get to enjoy the cupcake. It's just your body's like, oh, we got cupcake time. And that is no fun. And that's why we, we have stubborn belly fat uh, around the stomach is because your, your body, when it goes in that state of stress mode, we are saving energy. You're, you're, honestly, your body thinks it's Armageddon and anything that it can save and preserve, it's going to save and preserve. Also, when we're in a state of stress like that, emergency stress, it's not problem solving time. It's not willpower time. The cortex downregulates, our reasoning and rational center downregulates because we're upregulating the survival center, the limbic system. So all of a sudden, you've got cravings for sugary treats, for, for peanut M&Ms or for Snickers or whatever that may be, or, or, or um, Pringles chips, whatever that is, because your body thinks it's going to need that energy to survive. 
So willpower is gone. So when we're in a state of perceived stress throughout the day, it's no wonder we're craving things. We, we don't even have the ability to say no because cortisol can shut that part of the brain down. And then one of the other systems that I'm always very concerned about is our thyroid. You can't have a thyroid issue without a stress problem. And I know for me that when I look at my Hajimoto's, which I was diagnosed with a couple years ago, that probably the two biggest root causes for me was trauma and perceived chronic stress. Um, because when you're in a state of stress, Again, metabolism is first and foremost, and we need the thyroid to show up and to, to, to go and upregulate our ability to run if we need to do so. And when we shut down that part of the system that's our reproductive system, that's where we begin to see low progesterone levels. We can actually even steal the, the mama hormone pregnenolone it can shunt the production of progesterone and other reproductive hormones for the production of more cortisol if your body honestly needs to, to choose survival over reproduction. And where we see an increase in a, a drop in progesterone and in kind of compared to estrogen um, is going to be because we're in that chronic state of stress often and unconsciously throughout the day every day. Such a great explanation. I love everything you just said. You know, when we think about stress, what you're essentially doing is you're dumping energy into the periphery. Yes. So you are just taking it all away from, like you said, the reproductive system, the digestive system, your immune system, you know, who cares about fighting the bacterial infection if you, you know, if, if, if it's a life or death situation and you're just dumping it into the musculoskeletal system for that fight or flight, right? That sympathetic tone, that dominance there. And the other thing that I think really uh, parses well with your story is we sacrifice the capacity for our mitochondria to now produce ATP, which is energy. Um, you know, for those of you who have nightmares of high school biology, adenosine triphosphate, that's the currency that we trade in every single day. That's our energetic currency. And we move from this mitochondrial, like very efficient way of producing ATP in the mitochondria. Uh, for my nerd army, this is like, I'm talking about oxidative phosphorylation. Yes. Mm -hmm. And we move from oxphos and we move the energy production out of the mitochondria and now into the cytosol, into something called aerobic glycolysis. And you have, so now we have, um, if I remember my numbers, it's about 15 times less uh, efficient in terms of our energy production. And you have so eloquently said that this is going to start to affect our circadian biology. It's going to affect our sleep and wake cycle, uh, signals, our hunger. You know, we're going to be eating more crap because we yes. have hyperinsulinemia. We have, you know, we want that quick energy because we can no longer produce it ourselves in an efficient manner. Mm -hmm. Well, and even go so far as when your mitochondria are stressed or they sense stress, you know, your cell has that signal where it's like, this is an unsafe environment not even we go so far as to actually shutting down mitochondrial function entirely. Yes. So they completely hibernate. Yes. And that's where that chronic fatigue comes from. That is literally the definition of chronic fatigue is mitochondrial dysfunction um, due to high levels of stress, high levels, high levels of trauma, co-elevation of infections, which are also driven by stress, right? And the co-elevation of, of insulinemia. Those are all the things that tell your mitochondria, this is an unsafe environment to function in. It's time to hibernate. Maybe this body's going to implode, yeah. you know? And so it, it gets even deeper where we start to see all of that shut down. So it's no wonder over time, more and more of those mitochondria get the signal 
start sleeping on the job and we don't have the energy to literally function anymore, to spend time with our families, to have deep relationships with our partners and our friendships, to go and do the community work that we want to do because we're literally just in survival mode. And probably, you know, the, I remember the most selfish place that I was at was a place where I was running myself into the ground because I had nothing else to give anyone else. Mm -hmm. I was only able to just get by. And it's, it's that big lesson of how do we nourish and honor our bodies so that we can really show up for the people that matter most to us. So well said. All right. So now we have this, we are armed yes. with this information in terms of the diabolical consequences that cortisol and stress can have in the body, you know, leading to things like estrogen dominance. We talked about the pregnenolone steel. So now let's get into perimenopause and menopause. So yes. this is, well, let's just start off with how do we know? How do we know that we're in perimenopause? What, what, when, and how, and what's happening? It is, you know what? It's, it's a spectrum. Perimenopause is a spectrum. Menopause is a spectrum. You don't one day just wake up and bam, you're in perimenopause and you're in menopause. Women, it really varies. You know, we know that early, early onset menopause is going to be menopause before the age of 40. Um, but menopause can happen anywhere between the ages of 45 to 58, 60 years old. It really depends on the woman. Um, and then we know that menopause can actually be surgically induced, chemically induced. You know, it, it can come on um, for a number of reasons. But we do know that if it's before the age of 40, we kind of define that as a really early menopause. Where women begin to start to feel changes, and it can really vary for some women, but I would say the earliest signs of kind of perimenopause shifts and changes is going to be 35, 36. And where I, why I think that that is the case, um, per, like looking at all the research, talking to so many women, reading all the books. I, I, there, there's a book on perimenopause. There's an article on perimenopause. I have read it. And again, I think what's, what's and I'm just going to put this out there, but what really breaks my heart is how little attention we have chosen to focus on this transition in women's life in the medical community. Mm -hmm. We have really failed women in this area, um, especially the distinction between perimenopause and menopause. I would say that most doctors do not know it. Most doctors don't know um, because we really just haven't looked into it. I think we're, I think why we're we, scared of it too. I think we have just been, we're oh, culturally totally. like, oh, oh my yeah. God, that's like the end of your life. You're going to lose your hair. You're going to turn into an old hag. Like there's all this cultural dogma around menopause and like, listen, where were we just, I just saw JLo and Shakira, you know, halftime, wow. you know, we're, we were recording this like a couple days after the Super Bowl halftime show. Like I plan on, do, I like, come on, like that is, that's menopause. I mean, maybe, I don't know if Shakira is there yet, but like JLo is definitely not there yet, but yeah, yeah JLo is, JLo is in menopause. She is yeah. making menopause look like nobody's business. My yeah. mama too, I'm Latina. So I would let everyone know I'm Latina yeah. and to see Shakira and JLo on that stage. Oh my goodness. And I know there's all a controversy about it, but those women own their mamas, their own working their mamas, they yeah. own their bodies, they own their power. They own that moment, especially for Latina women to represent on the Super Bowl stage. It's just so, so powerful. There's so so much good that mm -hmm. that performance and you know what when so much good at a performance like that and we we up level the game at that level we're gonna we're gonna feel some hate we're gonna feel a little controversy yeah, on that right because it really stretched people 
um, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, and not everyone's ready for that expansion. I was so ready for that expansion. I was I have like, watched more of it that. like I've watched it like six to. times and every time it gets better. I'm like, oh my God. I have watched it. Okay. I've watched it as many times as, as many times as you have, but I've watched it four to five times and I am always in oh. pure awe. And I just want to say that I am always in awe of women. Women blow my mind. They always do. I am amazed at how much we can do, our capacity, our expansion, our service, our love. It's just, it's, we, we are why the world goes round. I mean, that's yes. why I truly do believe we're the reason why the world goes, mainly because we have the babies that make the world go around. That's for sure. <laughs> um, okay, so perimenopause. So 35, 36, and I think really what's happening there is inflammation. I think a lot of what's going on is those early signs of inflammation. I talked about those root causes, and I'm just going to name them really quickly. And just note that when those root causes are at play, that it's, they're going to have a profound impact on our hormones. And so we, we can saunter into perimenopause and menopause, or we could have a really hard time with perimenopause and menopause. It's emotional it's physical, it's mental, it's all of those things. Not only do we need to change the paradigm for how we see it, that we look at it as a time of owning our power, our, we, we're smarter, we're stronger, we, we're able to bring more people in to help support us. You know, the teams that Shakira and JLo have to become the superwomen that they do, that they are, right? We get to bring teams in to really step into our power at this, at this time. But there are root causes that can really kind of set us off course, and they can even happen earlier than our mid to late, mid to late 30s. It's just when oftentimes women are really beginning to feel it. Yeah. So those root causes for me and, and all of the study that I've looked at, kind of the scientific literature are going to be trauma, whether it's big T's or little T's. Um, trauma absolutely manifests in the body and can have a profound impact on our hormone system. Perceived stress, which we talked about, can happen many times during the day, whether we know it or not. Um, nutrient deficiencies. So for our brain and our body and our mitochondria and our hormones to work, we need nutrients to function. If we don't have those, we're going to struggle. Um, gut dysbiosis and, and, and leaky gut syndrome. So we have a microbiome issue or we've got, um, we've got um, a proliferation in the epithelial layer of our, of our gut. We're going to see things like autoimmune conditions. We're going to see an immune system attack. Um, then we've got um, co-infections, things like mold, viruses, bacteria, parasites. Those are a big one as well. Um, and, and then toxins, environmental toxins that I mentioned earlier, solvents, parabens, plastics, xenoestrogens. Those are the root causes. And those types of root causes, those five are going to drive again, hormonal dysfunction. And if we've got many of those at play in our mid-30s, as things begin to shift a little bit, we may start to feel a little bit tired. We may start to get those headaches. We may start to feel bloating and constipation. We may start to feel the fibrocystic breast and our cycle isn't 100% on. Some months it's spotty, some months it's heavy. We begin to see some of these things at play. And at the end of the day, a lot of what these root causes are driving is an inflammatory response in the system. Um, and and as we step into early 40s, mid 40s, 
um, we definitely see some changes in our ovarian function. The first hormone that's going to drop and dip is going to be progesterone. So it is no surprise and no wonder why the majority of women in perimenopause 100% have estrogen dominance. If any of those root causes are at play and we start to see a slow dip in progesterone levels, we're going to have an imbalance between estrogen and progesterone. And while doctors are just trying to prescribe birth control and hormone therapy to us, we really need to look at the elephants in the room. We need to dig into that root cause and see, you know, what, what could be driving these symptoms? Um, is it something going on with my gut? Is it the stress that I've been dealing with at work or that I'm, you know, my, 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 my parents have moved in or whatever those things may be happening? Um, is it that I'm struggling with, um, with the trauma that I, that, I, I, that I had when I was younger. So mm -hmm. just looking at those things, as the hormone system starts to shift, if we've got some of those causes that are driving inflammation in the body, it's gonna make that spectrum a lot more difficult um, versus not. And I think, I love that you called it a spectrum because I think that most people will be shocked to, to learn that you know mid-30s is when we start to see the, the sex hormones start to decline. Clinically, what I've observed, and you can tell me if this has been the same for you, the biggest clue for me, if a woman is in that perimenopause, on the perimenopausal spectrum, we'll call it, is her menstrual cycle. We start to see, I start to, she starts to notice things like it's a bit shorter. Like it starts, she's like, oh, it came a little, like a day or two earlier this month. Hmm, weird. And then as she kind of goes through it, then towards the end of menopause, it's like they lengthen. So it starts off like, nah, eh, it's coming a little quicker. And then as she sort of goes through, uh, you know, some of the symptoms that you described, she may start to notice that the, that the length of the cycle. So for me, the biggest clue has always been looking at the cycle length and flow um, because in the, in, in our mid forties, it starts to become, as you were saying, like quite irregular. And the other, the other thing that's tricky, it's so tricky is in women in, in our, women in their thirties and their forties, we are dealing with starting to deal with aging parents. Mm -hmm. We are starting to, you know, I have young children. Many women may have young children that they're trying to raise. And along with all the challenges that being a parent, you know, comes with, and then you have career. So you just sort of feel like you're being all these tenants, all these like tentacles of your life are pulling on you. And it's like, am I stressed or am I in perimenopause? I don't know. So it can be really confusing. Or both. Or, or, or it's, or it's both it's because both. it's, it's both because of the perceived stress that we were absolutely, talking about. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's absolutely 100% both. And I think it's how we manage our body and, and nourish our body in this time. That's really going to dictate what that spectrum is going to look like, yeah. whether, I mean, the, the, the things that we cannot change is that progesterone is going to start to, 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 to decrease. Mm -hmm. It's going to be because it's the pregnancy hormone, right? It's what keeps us pregnant. It's what, what really sets us up to maintain a pregnancy. And as we get to a point where we're, we're not going to be, we're not going to be, um, having the ovaries and having the structure to have babies anymore. That's what menopause is, is that we we're ceasing to, to be reproductive. We're not going to be having children. doesn't mean that we're not still amazing, mm -hmm. but we know that those, those hormones are going to shift and wh why the, why the cycle is getting shorter, why the our, kind of our, our period is even getting shorter is really that decrease in progesterone levels. Yeah. And then as we get closer to menopause, it's the, it's the up and down roller coaster of estrogen. Some, sometimes, 
sometimes estrogen is going to be super high. Sometimes it's going to be plummeting. So some months your, your cycle and your period is going to be shorter. Other months you're going to be seriously heavy bleeding. It's going to, you're going to be bleeding for, for weeks at a time. It can be a yeah. very, very scary time. Um, but just know that it's just a part of that, that, that kind of roller coaster cycle, that menopause spectrum that you're getting close to kind of the defining moment of, of menopause, which is you haven't had a period for a full year. And then that's kind of, that's defining moment. And then from there on out, you're just in menopause. There's not necessarily, there's not a post-menopause. It's just at that point, we kind of just decided that that's kind of the, the day of like the moment of menopause. And then we just continue in that, in that space. And the beautiful thing is, is we really can redefine what midlife looks like for us, but it's about how we take care of our bodies. Um, perimenopause can look very, very different um, depending on what you're doing and how you're taking care of yourself, how you're taking care of all of those obligations. It's by far probably that when we're the most responsible for so many people, our career, our family, our parents, our children, our communities, we really are stretched thin in a, in a lot of ways. So it's very, very easy for us to sacrifice ourselves for the greater good of everybody else. And yeah. that's when we really see the symptoms really hike up. And I, I, you know, special shout out to our androgen dominant women, our PCOS ladies, because this is going to be particularly important for them because you need to ovulate in order to produce progesterone. So if they are anovulatory and they're missing their periods, they are going to be even more susceptible to everything that you were just saying. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, and we, we look at the kind of the general spectrum of all of that, you know, how often PCOS is missed how often estrogen dominance is missed. Or they're or given how, the pill. Or, or we're just like, given, yeah. Or the yeah, solution is yeah. birth control pill. And, yeah. and we know, I know you've had um, Dr. Jolene Brighton on the, on the show, and we talk a lot about this on my show, but birth control is just early onset menopause as far as I'm concerned. Like it literally just shuts everything off. And so if you had a fighting chance to regulate and get to the root cause of what was going on, birth control really really hampers our ability to figure out what's going on and to actually address the root cause of the situation. Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly with what you're saying. I am not a fan of the birth control pill for a solution for anything. Um, I think it actually moves you further away from solving the problem. So speaking of solutions, let's, let's move into those because we've yeah. really defined a lot of the issues, what things can look like. You have been so open and honest and transparent. And let me just, let me just shout you out for a minute, caught being awesome, because it is so refreshing to have someone with your accolades. And I, just for the listeners, how many books have you written? <laughs> Um, seven books so far to date and a manuscript yeah. for my menopause and perimenopause book um, in March of this year. Okay. So you have achieved success on a scale that not many can, that not many can claim. And, you know, being so, you know, transparent and honest with your journey is so refreshing. So I wanted to maybe talk around to you around some of the things that have helped you personally, and also some of the recommendations that you have for uh, the women that you work with. So I want to, I want to divide them into three silos and tell me if I've missed one. I love yes. to talk about this in terms of physical uh, reduction of stress, 
or inflammation, emotional reduction, so um, you know, mindset work um, and mental health, and then chemicals. So that can be dietary, it can be like you were saying, xenoestrogens, perfumes, makeup, that kind of thing. So let's let's talk yeah. about some nasty things. Nasty <laughs> things, yeah. And I have I have a question for you about makeup yes. because I, I need some help in the makeup department. But um, okay, so physically, what have been how has your, I would love to know how your training and your exercise, your movement routines, how those have shifted to support mm. your hormones. And if you have, if you have protocols that you'd like to share with our listeners in terms of physicality. Absolutely. Well, a couple of years ago, I'll share a quick story. I had put on 10 pounds and I didn't know why. And I, I mean, my stress levels, they felt pretty normal. I was writing my, my last book and I was getting ready to launch that book. Um, and I, I was trying everything. Uh, Stephanie, I was, I was working out like twice a day. I was doing orange theory. I was restrictive eating. Um, I wasn't doing intermittent fasting yet, but I was really being mindful and I would come back from the gym and I was, I had, I had nothing left in the tank. I had nothing for nobody. And, um, it was very cardiovascular driven exercises. Um, and I realized that what I, what I was doing in that gym was creating a chronic fatigue. I, I knew the, yeah, I knew that I was like, oh my gosh. I'm falling into chronic fatigue again. What's happening? Mm. And um, it's, it's, you know, I thought I was treating, I thought weight was the root cause. You know, like you were talking about how, why do I want to kill everybody yeah. one day out of, the, out of the month? Yeah. And how do you not see it? Like weight is never the cause. It's yeah. only a, it's a symptom of a greater, of a greater, bigger issue. And um, I was spinning my, I was spinning circles, spinning circles. And then finally my eyebrows started falling out. My brain fog started coming I was cold all the time. I was getting constant, I was getting constipated. I was like, what is going on? And I mean, I knew we were running hormone labs, we were running thyroid labs. We weren't looking at the antibodies and everything looked normal. And finally I was like, you know, you just get this download where you're just like, oh my gosh, it's gotta be maybe, maybe please don't let it be Hajimoto's. Mm -hmm. And sure enough it was. And it was I remember in this moment um, that it all just kind of came together. You know, we, we so often we're trying to treat the symptom of, of what it is when we got to look at the whole picture um, and working out. I've worked out since I was 18 years old. I love, and I always had this mindset, if it wasn't hard, if I wasn't kicking my own butt, if I wasn't doing a hundred burpees, then I am wasting my time. Didn't and that's count. a high, yes, it didn't yeah. count. It's yeah. a high achievers attitude about yeah. everything. Yeah. And yeah. I know it's so many of the, of you women listening right now, it's your attitude too. And I had to just take a moment, step back and honor my body, it was clearly telling me, this is driving you into the ground. And I shifted my workouts. And so what I have found for women, particularly with hormone issues, is weight training. I think weight training is one of the most powerful ways that we can support our musculature, that we can support our mitochondria, that we can support our energy reserves without burning out. So I was doing I weight training, um, yoga, hiking, walking, and there's times where even just those are appropriate, mm -hmm. right? Where you're resetting the body. So yeah. I think it's listening to your body. I have an episode on my podcast on, on working out for Hajimoto's, but really any kind of chronic condition and, and really what it dialed down to and all the research that I found is that weight training is one of the best things we can do without burning ourselves out. And so many of the other workouts out there are you know sprinting and racing and plyometrics i feel like those can really just kind of lend us back to where we're kind of back to ground zero where we're at 
Especially if you're, you know, if you're a, again, a driven woman, I am putting myself in that category. You are. Like, yeah, I, you know, and I, I, I have, there's, there's been times where I've had women come to me and they, they say, you know, I'm doing, and I'm not trying to poo-poo on any, like, you know, it's like, I'm doing soul cycle like five times a week or I'm doing. You know, I've been I'm, that girl. Yeah. I've and, totally been that girl. Right. And they're like, but I can't lose the belly weight. Like, I don't understand. And it's like, it's because you're not, your body is holding on to that fat, like an insurance policy because mm-hmm. you're not allowing yourself to recover. Mm-hmm. So I love what you're saying about weight training. I am a big, I think. I know you are girl. Since training is goddamn magical. I'm just going to, it's just, ma- and you know what, if you love carbs, the more muscle you have, the more carbohydrate tolerance you have, because you are going to be able to dump that glucose into the muscle. And once it's in the muscle girls, it doesn't get out. It's like what, you know, you go to Vegas, it stays, whatever happens there, it stays there. Same thing with Same glucose muscles. and muscles. Yes. You get glucose in the muscle, they don't go anywhere. It stays they in the muscle. They can't leave. Yes. You got it. <laughs> so I love leave. that. Yes. yes, especially if you're um, you're you're coming to us and you're like, Dr. Marisa, Dr. Stephanie, I've got endometriosis, I got lupus, I got Hajis, I've got chronic fatigue, mm. where you're not going to burn. And be mindful, like listen to your body. You know, you're not training for two hours in the gym, weight mm. training. Be mindful. There are times where 30 minutes weight training is all. I just know my body. That's that's the end of that workout. Like I just know where um, what is going to serve me and fuel me without burning me out. And so mm-hmm. just being mindful because all of us are kind of probably. I know I've been back on the ground multiple times. I know that I am I am just a couple of bad habits away of being back in a state of chronic stress. And so I just have I'm really really careful around that. So that but I love to move my body. I've loved to move it. I'm you know I'm 40 years old right now. I've been loving to move it since over 20 years. And so it's, you know, you want to do what you love, but then honor your body in the process. Love that. Mm -hmm. Let's move into chemistry or chemical, you know, dietary changes, uh, makeups, perfume. And I will pre-frame this by saying I need some help in the makeup department. Like I've been, I love my makeup. So if you have any brands that you like, or you have like, you can, I need a good red lip tint. That's a Natural. good red lip tint. Yeah. You know, if I were to name a good red lip tint, the the company that I love for a red lip tint is going to be a beauty. I do love Beauty Counter for their lipsticks. Oh, beauty. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I do counter. love them for yeah. their lipsticks. Yeah. I don't necessarily love them for their foundations, but I, I do. I have... I know my lip gloss is probably wearing off, but I have, I have one of their lip glosses on right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be the one for lip tint um, mm-hmm. that, I, that I love a lot. Um, so mm-hmm. that would be a good one to look at. Cool. So yes, yeah, so let's talk about, oh my goodness. You know, I, again, estrogen dominance, very rampant. Um, you know, you, it gets to a point where you just think that your breasts are supposed to be tender and lumpy because you're right. just like, aren't right. they just always like this? Yeah, this is um, the new normal. <laughs> this yeah. is my new normal. Yeah. When we run my, my Dutch test many years ago, I was like, oh my goodness. Like I was like too many estrogen metabolites. And I knew that the environmental toxins in my home weren't serving me. I was using, you know, I grew up with Comet and I grew up with, with Glade plugins and Pledge yeah. and, mm-hmm. and Windex, the bright blue stuff. And so yeah, yeah. Um, we got rid of all of it. And we got, in my, I have a, one of my books, I have recipes all day, every day for everything you could possibly imagine. But like you go to Target and you walk down what the 20 aisles of cleaning products, it's just insane. And really you need five ingredients. You need vinegar, baking soda, 
hot water, some essential oils like lemon and uh, tea tree oil, um, and like some rubbing alcohol. It's really, and guess what? You have all of that in your house already, and you can make over yeah. all of your cleaning products. Mm -hmm. So m making over your green cleaning products, um, making swapping out those personal care, it's going to be the hardest thing to do is swapping out the personal care because I know you probably, we all love the things that we love, yeah. right? Um, so it's gonna, that's the hardest one to do. Um, and then, and then making over our medicine cabinet, finding more solutions for that as well. So just being really mindful about our toxic load, because for women, you know, there's, there's literally, there are obesogens in our shampoo and conditioner and our Glade plugins, like, and literally shift the way leptin and ghrelin work inside of our body. So just being mindful about what we touch and what we, we consume every day is going to be important. But I have to say the number one the magic around getting our hormones and getting our body back on track. Because as I talked about those root causes, it can feel a little arduous, the idea of having to go and dig for them. And goodness knows when I got diagnosed with Hajimoto's, um, which is an autoimmune condition of the thyroid, the first question I asked myself is, what's the root cause? What is causing this to happen? Why is my immune system targeting my thyroid? I, I need to, I got to figure this out. And without that foundation, which is nutrition, 100%, without the nutrition foundation, it is so much harder to figure out what that root cause actually is. And so there are foods that are absolutely hormone sabotaging, inflammation creating, that we have got to just push to the wayside. Whether it's just for a month, it's for 14 days, I don't, it's gotta at least be, I would say 21 days, you gotta break up with these foods because you need to give your gut, you need to give your liver, you need to give your mitochondria a chance, a fighting chance, to restore and replenish. So my big heavy hitters when it comes to breaking up with foods, and nobody likes this list, mm. um, is going to be corn has got to go, eggs have mm. got to go, grains have got to go, dairy's got to go, alcohol's got to go, coffee's got to go, sugar's got to go. Um, and then depending on your um, sensitivities, potentially nightshades, peppers, tomatoes, eggplant, got to go. And then if you're really looking into something, even maybe seeds and legumes. It all, it's all a spectrum, um, but the first ones I mentioned were the ones that really, and I think that there's an internal knowing that yes, we've got to give our bodies a break. And I will tell you right now, I'm in Hajimoto's remission, because here's the thing about an autoimmune condition, is it's never fully gone. You can just keep it in remission. But the, the, the one habit, the one thing that was the big game change for me was a combination of hormone-loving foods and removing the hormone sabotaging foods and intermittent fasting. Mm. That combination of the two is what has kept me in Hajimoto's remission um, after digging into those root causes. And I can't emphasize uh, how important, how many tens of thousands of women I've been able to serve and support that nutrition has always been the number one thing that we need to do, that we've gotta do to heal our bodies. It determines what perimenopause is going to look like. It determines what menopause is going to look like. And it really determines literally chronic, chronic conditions, cellular longevity. It's all determined by what we put into our bodies.
That's excellent. I love that list, even though I'm already like, do you distinguish between dairy sugars and dairy fats? Is it all dairy? Is it, I have all, all dairy. Different. It's all dairy. I'm like, it's all, uh, the butter too? Yeah, all butter gone. Too. All, all gone. gone. All right. Um, and what about, I guess my next question, because I have found when I, the one thing I counsel people on, and I, I want to know if you agree with this, is as much as their budget allows for to be able to buy, if they're meat eaters, to be able to buy organic, grass-fed, grass-finished beef poultry products because, you know, this, and, and I had Dr. Mark Hyman on the show a couple of weeks ago now, and um, we were talking about, you know, uh, industrial, agricultural, regenerative mm-hmm. agricultural practices versus industrial farming practices. And these animals that are raised in this conventional way, they have horrible lives, they have horrible deaths, and we and then we consume them and they are full of hormones they are full of antibiotics so to your point around hormone dysregulation and gut dysbiosis we are consuming all the antibiotics that those animals have consumed and he was telling me i couldn't believe this he was saying that um uh that like conventional like cattle they're fed candy and of course the high fructose corn syrup the corn all the stuff the that's corn, not native the to their diet ground up other animal. I could, it was just disgusting, just feces, all this stuff. So I always say to people, especially if you are estrogen dominant, which I find most women like in my, in my, you know, view world, world, you are sort of you sort of have chronic low grade inflammation and stress until proven otherwise. And you are likely going to have some estrogen dominance issues from it, um, is to buy organic beef. Like that for me is such a big, that's been such a big thing in my own, whenever I, I refuse now to eat anything that is not organic. I'm, you know, I'm at the restaurant, it's not organic. I don't have it, you know? Yeah. I mean, we don't, we don't eat at a lot of restaurants. We cook almost predominantly at the house. Mm-hmm. I think I thought that organic was already a given. I apologize for that. And, you know, and for me, when I was really focused on, I, we eat a lot of wild game. We eat a lot of lamb. We eat a lot of fish, mm. um, wild caught fish. We eat a lot of buffalo. So we're, we're even super mindful. I don't really, I don't eat any chicken at all because of the concern around amyloids. And so, you know, it's being, I mean, it depends on how, how mindful do you want to get, but yes, organic foods as much as possible, or, you know, um, grass-fed organic meat as much as possible. Um, we have to be so mindful about the glyphosate, the the GMOs, the the herbicides and pesticides. This is the toxic burden that your your liver is having to manage, your gut is having to manage. And we wonder why we see so much gut permeability, so much leaky gut, and it's because of the amount of pesticides and herbicides um, and you know toxic exposure that our gut is having to deal with on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. Now, it can be a little bit harder when you travel. We take a lot of snacks with us when we travel, um, but you just, you know, really being mindful of the type of restaurants that you choose. Um, I think all of that, it's, it's really that mindfulness around what you're eating, how you eat it, how you're preparing it. But I find that cooking at home in batches, making sure it's all organic and only focusing on those hormone loving foods, that is the, that, to me, it's the number one ticket to getting your body back on track. Yeah, like Mark Hyman said something like, you know, salmon is one of the healthiest things on the planet. If if it wasn't 2020, it would be the perfect food, right? To your point around the amyloids and the, like he was talking about, uh, you know, mercury and and um, accumulation. And farm fish, yeah. Yeah, farm fish, yeah. Let's move into emotional uh, health, mental health. I have a couple of things that I absolutely think are game changers, but I would love your yes. thoughts on this as well. 
So I know I said that food is everything. Food, intermittent fasting, loving those mitochondria is everything. But I also know that you cannot green smoothie your way out of chronic stress. Because yeah. I tried and I failed. I thought if I could just whip up a green smoothie and I mean, I could make a green smoothie in five minutes or less and I could run out the door in high heels like a Tasmanian devil with lip gloss on, um, <laughs> organic lip gloss yeah. um, out the door and, and I would run off to a meeting drinking my smoothie as I'm driving the car 90 miles an hour on the freeway. And I thought that I was like, I got this stress thing on lock. Like you, you've got to bring in the mindfulness. And so I know a lot of women are thinking, that, and if the thought comes into your mind, I don't have time for mindfulness. I don't have time for stress reduction. Then you are exactly the person who needs to hear this part of this interview. Um, because I honestly thought that was me. I, I thought there was no time in the day to take care of me until I was so sick that the only thing I could do was take care of me. And we just, none of us want to get to that point. I can't reiterate it enough. So the first thing I recommend if this is a new new area of focus, is to have a morning ritual and an evening ritual that you book in you book in your day selfishly, that it is your time, and that your morning ritual can look like grabbing an essential oil, like a wild orange essential oil, and breathing it in because it boosts happy neurotransmitters. It could be making that green smoothie, making your matcha latte. It could be journaling in your favorite journal. My, my favorite journal is, is right here called Speed Dial the Universe. Um, I've got my little favorite journal. Oh, it could beautiful. be, um, be like a five-minute meditation. It doesn't have to be a 20-minute meditation. I know there's probably amazing meditation gurus who would tell you the opposite, but Anything is better than nothing. Like I always say, do, do what you can with what you got where you're at right now, right? And so, and doing what you love. I think it's really important when you're creating these morning and evening rituals to ask yourself, what would I love? And even go a step further and sit down and create a joy list and ask yourself, what would I love? And create 10 things that are free that you love. And it may be even the first time you've ever asked yourself this, like you've learned your, about yourself. And it may be 10 things that don't cost a lot of money, but cost a little bit of money. Like for me, I love buying flowers every week. Um, I love cutting them, trimming them, putting them in vases and putting them all over the house. And it's probably about an hour activity it takes for me to do it, give or take. But it's, it's one of the things that brings me so much joy every single week in my life is to do that activity, is to buy flowers and put them around the house. So thinking about you know, having that joy list, creating that, that free list and the cost a little bit of money list, and then pick three things that you want to do from that joy list and integrate them into your life. And how you do that is you take this fancy little thing called a phone and you look at your calendar, which literally dictates your entire life, and you schedule in your morning ritual. You schedule in your joy activities. You schedule in your evening ritual so that you are getting that deep restful sleep, that high quality sleep that you need. Um, the other thing that I recommend is taking the same little phone that could get you in more trouble than not, but we're gonna <laughs> use it to your benefit. And we're gonna, I recommend setting a chime for every 90 minutes, maybe even every 60 minutes. So let's say unconsciously, you know that you get into a state of chronic stress, unconsciously, like you, you own it today. You're like, okay, Dr. Marisa, 50 times a day, holy cannoli, Batman, what do I do about that? 
and, and you're not even aware of it is have a chime for every 60 minutes on your phone that goes off. And in those 60 seconds, like that, that every 60 minutes in that five minutes period, you get up, you walk around, maybe you take a, a lavender essential oil and you do a breathwork exercise that really gets you centered back into your body, that gets you being in the now and literally resets the sympathetic track over to the parasympathetic track. So from from um, fight or flight over to rest and digest. And if it's in the phone and the little chime goes off, whether you like it or not, you've been scheduled to take a break and to do something that's good for yourself. So those are some of my strategies and techniques for a high, high achieving woman who's got a high achieving schedule to begin to take care of herself. And hopefully, I, I actually love that uh, I, I have a, an alarm that goes off on my phone three times a day, and it has my, th- like my core desire. So I do Danielle Laporte's core desire map. So it, three times a day, it tells me I am glamorous, I am luminous. I'm, so it just my phone reminds me. So it's almost like this Pavlovian conditioning that's happened. I'm like, two o'clock? Yes, me. I'm glamorous now. I'm, you know, I'm strong. I'm confident. I got my, all my words. So I love, I love that. And I would also add... The meditation and the mindfulness, Mm -hmm. I love that you're giving people permission to just do five minutes because I, again, high achieving, I was like, if I'm going to meditate, I'm going to murder this meditation. I am going to be so good at meditating. And, and I, and I would, you know, and then I would notice my mind wandering and I would like, you know what? I suck at this. I hate it. You know? And it took me a long time. I had Emily Fletcher, who I know that, you know, she was on the podcast as well. Yeah. I love Ziva meditation. Oh, and some yes. days I am rocking my Ziva meditation and other days it's a five minute meditation and I yeah. do not beat myself up over it. Any, again, doing what you can with what you got right now in this moment is the best. It's the best we can do, but it's, it's a, just a matter of just giving your mind space giving your mind that space to just be in the now, be in the present, reset those brain waves. Even that five minutes can make a world of difference in your life. It really does. And what it's really done for me is it's increased my resilience. So Mm -hmm. we all have stressors. Things happen through the day. As you were saying, 50 times a day, we're going into that stress response. But we're able to, at least my experience has been, with a meditation practice. And some days, like you said, it's five minutes. Some days it's 20 and you know it ebbs and flows. But when I have to make a withdrawal from my stress, you know, from my bank account, I have a lot more to draw out from. So I'm not freaking out. I'm not, I have much more reserves in me to be able to handle the stress with the grace and the ease that I want to, want to be able to handle it with. And that's what it's all about. It's all about the ease and the grace and giving ourselves that level of resilience. And we all have that friend that we know who the same situation can happen to them at the same time. And it's like, it, like nothing happened, right. right? We have the friend who just, that has that resilience where like they can, everything rolls off their back, right? Everything just goes right off. And it's like, how do you get to that place? And it really is about mindfulness. It's really about meditation and giving yourself that expansion to, to have resilience. Um, and we do that through food. We do that through breath work. We do that through our morning ritual. We do it. I mean, if anyone messes with my evening ritual, 
I'll, I'll cut them. Yeah. I, I, it's my time. <laughs> That's the Latina. <laughs> it is my time. Don't mess, yeah. Don't mess with me. My, the, yeah. Everything goes like the, the, yeah. the curtains shut. It's, you know, blackout curtains. Yeah. Um, I got my book. I've got my, my essential oil blend. I got my little spritzer that I spritz on the bed. Mm-hmm. I, I got my affirmations. Mm-hmm. I have like, this is a whole thing that I do to get ready for bedtime and it is my most cherished time. Um, and we get to have that, you know, there was a time where I was like, I would just run into bed. It was like a Tasmanian devil into bed. And I would sit there because of the mental chatter would just not stop. I would lay there with to-do lists and worry lists and all the lists. And it just, I, I would wake up so drained and mm-hmm. We deserve to wake up with energy. We deserve to wake up feeling like we can conquer the world. And there's just little things that we can do to put in place to really create that for ourselves. But that first step is giving ourselves permission and and saying yes to us is really what it comes down to. We, we get to say yes to us so that we can do, do the big things in the world that we were meant to do. So wonderfully said. And you mentioned before, I just wanted to circle back to it. You are currently writing a book on the topics that we've discussed today. Yes. Yes. Yes, I am. And do you know when it's going to be released? We'll make sure that we link to, I'll link to all of your books in the show notes, but do you have sort of an idea of when it's going to be released? I do. So April of 21. Okay. It'll, it'll be a while. So yeah. So in the, in the, in the world of book writing, sometimes it's like the book is due in March and then it takes the publishing house like a full year to get it ready. So we're we're a ways out. I have to tell you, I am in the process of writing. I was telling you this a little bit in the pre-chat in the process of writing my first book. And I just, I just bow down to you doc because seven books, you know, I feel like I'm birthing a book baby, like, and it has a big head and it is just long and arduous and painful at times. And, uh, yeah, so writing, you know, I'm, I'm, I'll be so excited when your book comes out. I'm really looking forward to it. If people want, you've mentioned your podcast a few times, let's plug your podcast. If people want to find you where we can find out more about you and your work. Absolutely. So the podcast is literally focused on women's hormone health, helping women become the CEO of their health. And we do deep dives into major hormone concerns like endo, PCOS, um, estrogen dominance. I'm actually writing a, a solo episode for estrogen dominance right now. Like I want women to know the testing. I want them to know what to look for, what to demand, and then you know what the program, what the protocol is to get them back on track. So it's called Essentially You Podcast. Um, and then my website is um, drmarisa.com. And my Instagram, where I absolutely love to connect with people, is also at Dr. Marisa. That's D-R-M-A-R-I-Z-A. And I'm so excited um, to be able to connect. Any of you who have questions, I would love to help you answer them. And I've been a, a guest on your podcast and it is, yes, you great, have. it is a great podcast. I love, I love your podcast. You do a really great job. Oh my God. Our interview was amazing because you are so amazing. We talked about intermittent fasting, cellular longevity, mm. and what it looks like for leveraging nutrition and honoring our mitochondria to support our hormones because no surprise, it is all interconnected. Thank you so much for your time today. We are probably about 90 minutes into this conversation, something like that. And it's just been, you just know your stuff. It is so lovely to have a conversation with you. I love you. I honor you. Thank you so much for spending the time with me today. Thank you so much for having me, honey. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. For those of you who want to continue on this week's Geeky Magic Carpet Ride with me, visit bettershow.co forward slash show notes. You'll find research, links, summary notes, 
musings that I prepared in preparation for the podcast. And I often throw in some of my best practices, bonuses, and links. All the juicy bits are in there for you. And now for the obligatory legal and medical disclaimer. This podcast is for general information only, and the advice recommendations we discuss do not replace medicine, chiropractic, or any other primary healthcare provider's advice, treatment, or care. In the consumption of this podcast, there is no doctor-patient relationship formed, and the use and implementation of the information discussed are at the sole discretion of the listener. The information and opinions shared on this podcast are not intended to be a substitute for primary care, diagnosis, or treatment. This episode is brought to you by yours truly, Dr. Stephanie Asima, and Leverage. Leverage handles all production, creates the images that you see on my social media, and takes out all my awkward pauses. They are my secret magic bullet. You can visit them at getleverage.com forward slash better.